Guys, I am so excited. I've been looking forward to being here with you guys, predominantly for the main reason that I know anybody who chooses to attend church at a place called Second Chance, you're my kind of people. I mean, we would be best friends. I just know it. In fact, your pastor is one of my husband and I's just closest, closest friends. And uh, I was talking to my husband, Chris, and uh, before I got on a plane to come here, and we're just sharing. You know how sometimes you've got friends in your life that are friends because you just, you're in the same season. Maybe your kids are the same age or you work in the same building. Uh, maybe you live on the same street. But then there's other friends that God puts in your life that you know that, that he put them in your life because you're not going to make it through a season without them. Amen. Right? You got some friends like that? Yes. I want you to know that that's the friend that your pastor has been to my husband and I. We have needed him in our lives and he has showed up time and time again. And, and one thing that I just, I admire so many things about Perry, but what I really, really look up to the most, uh, to him the most about is just his willingness to go first. Yes. His willingness to go first. You know, I found in life, it's really easy to go first when, when, when you're the first to be the hero, right? Or you're the first to show everyone that you could just carry the world on your shoulders. But it's a whole nother thing to go first publicly when you're admitting that you need a do-over or you need a second chance. Amen. Right? Your pastor is one of the bravest people I know. I love him. I love this church. And we're going to have a little fun today, okay? All right. So, so my gang and I, we live right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And up until about, uh, about two years ago, we actually lived in the heart of Nashville. And, and at that time, we were just what I would call fake or faux country. I mean, like everybody else in the Southeast, we had, you know, the shiplap walls in our kitchen. We had the magnolia wreath on our, on our front door. And my, my daughter and I, we would sport our cowboy boots with our sundresses. But, it, but at the end of the day, after no matter how many country layers that we put on, we were really just a house full of city people, okay? I mean, no matter what, all of our doors were filled with skinny jeans, right? All the magnolia home, chippy painted pots all had dead and dying herbs in them at all times. That's, we were just fake country. And so my husband and I, we decided one day that we wanted to be a real country family. We were, I mean, what, what's the point of living in Nashville if you're not going to be a real country family? And we decided that in order to do that, we were going to have to get ourselves a farm. And, and, and we thought that, that this farm would solve all of our problems. I mean, we just knew that our kids would no longer be addicted to electronics because they would have all this farm work to do. They'd have all these animals to take care of, right? And surely they'd never fight because, because we'd, they, they would have all this land to explore. They'd be way too busy exploring to actually fight. Well, two years into this journey, we set out, we did exactly that. We bought us a small hobby farm, and we are learning two years later that now my husband and I just have a ton of work to do where our kids sit on electronics and fight all day. <laughs> it's not working out very well for us. In fact, we're, we're not good at this. We're finding that we're terrible at, at, at farm life, at country living. Did, did you know that we've tried chickens? We're like zero and 28 with trying to keep those things alive. I mean, I cannot keep them alive. And if you're with PETA, I just want you to know, I'm trying. Those things are so hard. You thought herbs and chippy painted pots were hard to keep alive. Try chickens. It's terrible. And also, uh, did you know that if you do decide, like us, to go all Joanna Gaines and buy a small uh, a, a house, an old, old house uh, in the country, do you know that the chances are that you're going to have a septic tank on your property? And do you know that those suckers need to be pumped out every couple years or else? Yeah. 
or else happened to us just a couple weeks ago. I mean, we are, we are terrible, terrible at this. But, but despite, despite how bad we're at it, I, my husband and I really are enjoying some, some of the aspects of living on a farm. And one of them especially is this time of year, uh, the beauty that we see on our farm. Because see, there's these trees that are just hundreds and hundreds of years old. And, and, they're, and they're changing colors right now. And it is just a breathtaking seen every evening to take in with the sunset on those trees. And we're also finding on the farm that, that there's these flowers, these fall flowers that are starting to pop up everywhere, sunflowers and daisies, some flowers that somebody else, generations before us, planted, but we get to enjoy their beauty. And the other night, I was out and I was just walking around taking care of some, some of the animals um, at, during sunset. And I noticed some of these flowers. And, and I found myself, in fact, I brought, I brought some so you guys could see this. But I was walking around and I was just noticing some of these flowers. And I found myself kind of daydreaming and then starting to pray as I, as I was looking at these flowers, these, these fall flowers that are just standing tall. And I found myself saying, God, I want to I want to live life like that flower looks. Like I want to live my life this way. I want to be a confident woman. I want to walk into that meeting confident and ready to lead. I want to stand tall. I want to flourish. I want to believe that the dreams that you put inside of me, I'm going to actually see them happen in my lifetime. I want to be okay with the gifts you've given me and even more importantly, okay with the ones that you chose not to give me. I want to be content with that. I want to live my life like so many of these flowers seem to look on my farm, tall, confident, strong, flourishing. But see, on, my, on our farm, we also have these other flowers, and, and uh, they sometimes look like this. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt just exhausted, past your prime, collagen depleted, cellulite ridden? <laughs> Sorry, gentlemen, I know that's a, a girly picture, but here's what I say about that. If I, if I got to watch Perry's clothes drip sweat every day on Insta stories, you're going to have to hear about my collagen and cellulite problems today, okay? It's payback. <laughs> Do you ever felt this way? Just, just a shell of the person that you once used to be, a shell of a person that had some big dreams, that had the energy to actually chase those dreams, exhausted, overwhelmed. And, and why is that? Why is it? How do we go from this to this? What's the issue? What's happening here? Well, I want you guys to see in this flower right here, you can tell that there's some weeds, right? Can you guys see that? There's some weeds in this flower. And see, here's the thing about weeds. Weeds will take for themselves everything that the flower needs to survive. So it will take the sunlight and the nutrients, and it will absorb it from itself, and it will essentially leave the flower choking instead of flourishing, dying from the inside out. And do you know that the Bible tells us that we actually have weeds in us that will choke our soul? We have the exact same thing going on in the, inside of us. And today, I just want to talk to us for a few minutes about just one, just one of those weeds. It's the weed that, that Jesus himself refers to in Matthew 13 as the weed of the worries of this life. It's the weed of worry, of fear, and of anxiety. It's the, it's the weed that wonders, is my husband going to come home after that next business trip? It's the weed that worries, will my child fit in? Or will they reject me again? Or am I going to run out of, of money at the end of this month? 
It's the weed of anxiety. And I want you guys to know that, that as we talk about this, that this is actually something that I've really struggled with. It's done some big damage in my life. And, you know, up until about mm, five or six years ago, I'd really never struggled with anxiety. I didn't, I didn't understand it when people would talk about it. I certainly didn't have the compassion I should. But about five years ago, my family and I, we moved to four different cities in one year. My husband, he uh, had a pretty stressful job, but he traveled all the time. And I was a full-time working mom. And I spent my life trying to balance that while I was helping three kids adjust to new city, a new church, and new community after new city, new church, and new community. And all that put together would make somebody a bit anxious. But what really did me in, what really did me in, and I started to tailspin emotionally, was the fact that I started to develop some just internal struggles. I started to develop some temptations. And one day, I reached out to a girlfriend who I dearly, dearly trusted, and I confided in her. And she took that information and she twisted it, and she turned it, she exaggerated it, and she used that information to deeply wound me and my family. And it was some of the words that were said to me in that situation, some of the things that came out of people's mouths, were some of the most hurtful things that I had ever heard, and they came out of the mouths of people I loved the most, people I'd given my life to serve, people I left my children at home on the floor so I could go love and serve. But like with all gossip, there was a seed of truth in what she said, right? Doesn't it happen that way? And there was a seed of truth in what she said. And it was, it was that combination, somehow this terrible combination that set off like fireworks in my head of rejection, of embarrassment, and mixed with shame and guilt. And I just started to tailspin. I mean, tailspin emotionally. I didn't know what was happening to me, but I knew my world was falling apart and I could not, for the first time in my life, put it back together again. And I wanted to come here this morning and convince you that I went from feeling like this flourishing flower to this dying flower. But if I'm being honest, it was not nearly as pretty as any flower could, do, <laughs> could give justice to. I was in a really, really dark place. In fact, I brought a picture. I want to show it to you guys. This, this is a soldier from World War I. You can see in the picture that he's hiding in a bunker from the enemy. But can't you tell in that picture that no matter what's going on in the battlefield above him, what's going on in his mind is bigger. And it's a big, bigger battle for him than what's going on above him. When I see that picture, I know exactly what it's like to feel that way. That my circumstances might not do justice for what's going on in my, mind, in my mind, but in my mind, my world is crumbling, and it is falling apart. And I don't even know if I want to live in this world anymore. And see, I know, I know that I am not the only one, because statistics tell us that anxiety is on the rise. It actually tells us that anxiety has become the number one mental health issue in the United States, surpassing even depression. It affects 10% of teenagers and 40% of adults. Now, let me tell you guys something. That statistic was taken in 2016. That number is said to increase by 5% every year, so do the math. Over half of us in here today are struggling with paralyzing fear and anxiety. 
I read recently in an article, it said that millennials are documented to be the most anxious generation in history. And see, when it comes to this rise of anxiety in our culture, I'm starting to think about it like I do trying to wake up my 14-year-old son, Max, in the mornings. How many of you, how many of you have teenagers? Raise your hand. How many of you enjoy waking your teenager up in the morning? Raise your hand. <laughs> great, great. Okay, so here's the deal. My, my son, Max, he was born with the gift of sleep. I'm not lying. He was born with the gift of sleep, uh, to sleep. And, and don't hate me if you're a new mom with, with little ones. But when I took Max to his first newborn checkup, here's what the doctor told me. He said, Holly, everything looks wonderful. He's doing great. He's gaining weight. There's only one problem. And the problem is he's sleeping through the night too soon. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to wake up in the middle of the night and feed him. What? Are you kidding me? Okay, okay. So you just said to me, sir, that my son is perfect, that his weight is great, that everything looks good. I know that he eats all day long. And now you're trying to tell me that you want me, a new mom, to wake up during the night to feed him some more? Y'all, I shook my head, but that never happened. Not one time did I wake that child up. No way. But you add puberty to the gift of being born to sleep, and I am telling you, this kid is impossible to wake up. I mean, I have tried everything, everything. I even have a girlfriend. Now, listen to me. Her husband is a doctor, so I felt like this was completely legit advice, okay? She said, just sit on his chest because when he needs to breathe, he'll wake up. That sounded totally legit. I tried it. He slept past the point of me thinking I was going to go to jail. (laughs) Didn't even work. And so we have this cycle, and it repeats itself one miserable morning after one miserable morning. I'll tell Max to wake up roughly five, six, seven times, about the seventh time. I mean, I'm losing it. My blood is beginning to boil. I am thinking some really bad words. And I do the same thing every day. I stomp into his room. I take the covers off his bed. I rip them off of him as hard as I can. And I say, Max Brown, you are 15 years old. Get yourself out of bed and get in the shower. Enough is enough. This is ridiculous. Enough is enough. And that is what I'm starting to feel about this rise of anxiety in our culture. Enough is enough. Like, when are we going to start talking about this? When are we going to say that this is enough? Too many people are sitting paralyzed in their dreams, and they're giving up on the stuff that God's given them to do. They don't even have the energy to chase it anymore. When are we going to say enough is enough? And please hear me today. There's two things I want to make clear. One, I'm not a professional. I'm just simply someone who's happened to struggle with this, and Jesus is pulling me to the other side of it. And number two, I know that there are some of us here, I know that there's some of us that will struggle with lifelong mental illnesses that will need to be seen and cared for by a physician and a psychiatrist for the rest of your life. That is very true for some of us, and I want to be very sensitive to that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that most of us here today have no history of mental illness, and we're now beginning to struggle with paralyzing fear, anxiety, and panic attacks. 
And I don't want to sound cliche, but here's what I want us to hear is the truth. That if we are Christians, we have the power of God in us. And last I checked, God was a God that heals the blind. He makes the blind see. He makes the lame walk. And here's what I want to consider today. Could it be, could it be that anxiety has become the polio of our generation? That it's what's blinding us to our God-given dreams. It's what's making us lame to walk out what he's put inside of us. And I don't want to just read about a God that healed those things. Ours might not be physical like it was in the Bible, but it is a mental thing and it is laming us and it is blinding us just like those were. And I want to serve a God that heals that in me and in my church and in my generation. But if we're going to do that, we've got to start saying enough is enough and we got to come together and we got to talk about this publicly and we got to help each other overcome this. We got to help each other overcome this. And I don't know today I don't know what causes your anxiety if you struggle with it. I don't know if it's the fear of money. I don't know if it's the fear of a relationship ending. I don't know if it's the fear of rejection. But no matter what, that, what your trigger is, no matter what's causing that for you today, my prayer is that I'm going to share with you four practical tools, four practical tools that we can all use in moments of high anxiety, of paralyzing fear, and of panic. Okay, these are the high moments, guys, the moments you don't want to get out of bed moments that you don't feel like you make it to work that day, I want to share with us four tools that we can use. The first and foremost is get professional help. Get professional help. I didn't, I didn't get help when I first needed it. And, and, and I remember one day my mom called me when I was struggling at my greatest, and she said, Holly, you need help. You need help. You're not functioning. You're not eating, you're not sleeping, you're trying to find unhealthy ways to numb yourself. You can't even stand to handle, hear the chatter of your children in the background. And she was right, I wasn't functioning. And I remember walking in later that week to a counselor's office for the very first time. Y'all, I wasn't two minutes into my counseling appointment and this counselor stops me. And she says, Holly, I'm gonna help you, but I can't help you today. And I looked at her and I said, say what? I said, you have to help me today. It took me two years to get here. And my world is falling apart. And I paid $175 to be here. You got to help me. And she said, Holly, I can't. I can't help you because you're in the middle of a panic attack. And so I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit with you for a few minutes and I'm going to call a doctor. And you're going to go straight to the doctor's office. Guys, I had no idea that I was in the middle of a panic attack. I had, those, I had those feelings tons and tons of times before. I did not know that was a vocabulary to put to that. I had no idea that I wasn't making sense because my mind was moving faster than my mouth could keep up with. I didn't know that I couldn't catch my breath and that I was jittery and couldn't sit still. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that my world was falling apart and I was scared to death. And see, when I started seeing my counselor, she explained to me, that's why you need professional help, Holly, because here's the deal. The more anxiety we have, the more anxiety we're going to have. See, anxiety will actually exacerbate more anxiety. And why is that? Why is that? Well, think about it this way. Have you ever gone through something traumatic? And, and, and you, despite the trauma of it all, you actually feel like you handled it pretty well. You stayed pretty calm throughout the situation. You handled things pretty well. But then I don't know, maybe, maybe 
two weeks, maybe two months later, let's just say you get a text from your boss. It's a pretty straightforward text. It says, call me. He meant nothing by it other than the fact that he wanted you to call him. He's going to update you on a work project. But you read that text that just simply said, call me. And in a matter of moments, you decided that your boss does not appreciate how much you kill yourself for this company. In a matter of moments, you decided that he probably thinks that I sit around and twiddle my thumbs all day. In fact, that's probably why he just said, call me. He wants me to come in the office. He's going to fire me because he thinks I do nothing when I'm killing myself for this job. Well, you know what? He can fire me. He can fire me, and then he will know how much work I do for this company. You know what? Better yet, I'm going to march in there right now, and I'm going to tell him that I have too much self-respect for him to take me advantage of me for one more day, and I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with this. I mean, one simple text, and you are so far gone off the logical edge. You're about to throw your future away. Who's done that? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. That's just strictly, I mean, I Googled. I Googled that. That's not real life or anything in my world either. But why does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, see, what's happening in that situation is the fact that we have these two transmitters in our brain. They're called serotonin and GABA. And here's the great things about serotonin and GABA. When you go through experiences, even traumatic experiences, they will help you stay calm and under control. That's what they're there for. But when you go through that trauma, you will deplete all your reserves of both those transmitters. You deplete it all. I'd like to think about it like I do brakes on a car. Have you ever gotten so close to rear-ending someone that, <laughs> right, and this is before your car has actually had the red things that vibrate and tell you you're about to rear-end someone? Have you ever gotten so close to rear-ending someone that you slam on your brakes, maybe you skid over into the shoulder, and, and you maybe end up in the grass, but guess what? You didn't wreck your car. You made it. You can relax. Everything's great. But then like two weeks later, what, what you're pulling onto your college campus and your brakes squeal so loud that you just want to duck in the floorboard and hide. Have you ever been there? And let me ask you this. Did pulling on the college campus ruin your brakes? No. You shot your brakes two weeks ago avoiding that car crash. See, this is the same thing that happens in our brains when we go through trauma. We will deplete all those reserves. It took everything we had in us to make it through that traumatic experience, but we made it. But now, a, a straightforward text from your boss or a flippant comment from your spouse, and you are right over the edge. This is why you need professional help. Because a doctor and a counselor, they can help you determine what kind of therapies and medications you need to get those things back on track. Those reserves will not fill themselves back up. And they'll help you get what you need to build those back up so you don't throw away another relationship that you love. Right? The second thing that we can do, second tool we can do in moments of, of, of paralyzing fear and anxiety is to simply marinate in worship. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, when, when my anxiety is high, it's usually happening because something is out of control in my world, but I'm not trusting the one who is in control, right? And so for me, because I told you in my circumstance, the girl who, who took some information and twisted and turned it on me, there was a seed of truth in that. So I find myself buried up in shame a lot. And I get to a point where my faith gets so weak that I don't know anymore if I'm a good person or if I'm a bad person, if God is for me or if God is against me, if this situation spinning out of my control is actually God trying to, to exact revenge on me. 
And I get so messed up and I know that's not true of God's character. When I'm healthy emotionally, I know that. But when I'm in a moment of high anxiety, that feels very real to me. And that's where I get messed up in that. And so I, I like to say marinate in worship because worship provides an, is, is a way that we can get to know God's character again. See, see, the answer isn't just to will ourselves to trust God more, right? It's not just to will ourselves. We simply can't will ourselves to trust God more with our circumstances. That's why if you are, are married to or if you're in a relationship with somebody that struggles with anxiety and fear, it is never, ever, ever helpful to say to them, knock it off, you know you need to trust God more or you need to pray more. That's never helpful. And because here's the truth, guys, we cannot just simply will ourselves to trust God more, but we can lean in to knowing God more. We can get to know God more. And see, when we know God, we will begin to trust him. Trusting the one who is in control is just simply a byproduct of getting to know him. And I had to understand in my own walk with the Lord that sometimes I have to get to know God again and again and again and again. And that's why I love worship because worship allows us to get to know God's character in an avenue that an anxious mind can actually comprehend. If you struggled with high anxiety, you will know that, uh, that, that it's hard. It's hard to have background noise on, right? It's hard sometimes to listen to a podcast. And dare I say, even sometimes preaching can be hard on an anxious mind. But worship, worship just calmly and lovingly reminds us that God is in control that if you've made a mistake, that he's going to lovingly cover that mistake, that he is working in ways that you cannot see. And as our hearts begin to believe that and trust that again, our minds will calm down. Marinate in worship. The third tool, the third thing that we can do when our, our anxiety is high, our fear is paralyzing us, is to simply find one friend hear me, guys, we will never, ever beat anxiety in isolation. Quite frankly, when we're in a moment of high anxiety, our minds are sick. And you cannot beat a sick mind with the sick mind. We will never reason ourselves out of a panic attack. So, so, so listen to me. We all need one friend, somebody that we can call who can sit with us during a panic attack or who can pray over us. We need somebody. I've only got really, besides my husband, one friend that I can trust with my most anxious thoughts. I like to play this game with her that I call real or not real. I got it from Peter and Katniss from the Hunger Games. You guys ever seen that? Okay, so Peter went through some emotional trauma, and so he didn't trust his own mind. And so Peter would ask Katniss things like, are you still trying to protect me? Is that real or not real? And in one of the last scenes of the entire series, he says, you love me, real or not real. And this is the game that I play with my girlfriend. Recently, somebody reached out to my husband who had hurt me pretty deeply. And my husband is texting me. I was out of town. So he's texting me uh, the, the recap of his conversation. And so as I'm reading his text coming in, I'm telling you guys, I am starting to feel the impending doom starting in the pit of my stomach and creeping up my body. I mean, my chest is getting tight. It's pounding. My mouth is getting dry. And impending doom is just settling over me like a dark cloud. Have you ever been there? So I had two choices in that moment. 
I could ride out worst case scenario, right? And I could chase that train all the way into a panic attack. I've done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times before. Or I could just simply pick up the phone and call my girlfriend and play real or not real. And for once, I got it right this time. I picked up my phone and I said, hey, listen, this is what was said. And here's what my mind is telling me. Is this real or not real? We all need a friend that in moments like that can just reach down and pull us out of the chaos in our mind and just anchor us back in reality. Some of us need that one friend because we honestly need to share with them what we're really struggling with. And I'm not talking about the cute things that we mention in small group that pushes the question on to the next person. I'm talking about the things that could cost us everything, that could rob us of every relationship and every, our, our, our career and our life. We need a friend that we can share, share those things with. Because here's what I want to tell you. If you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, you are filled with the light of Jesus. That is signed, sealed, and delivered. There is nothing that you can do that will change that. But here's the truth. There's nothing you can do that can change that. You are filled with the light of Jesus. So when we start hiding things and we're hiding dark secrets, we are trying inside of our souls to force darkness and light to live together. Let me tell you guys, all that does is creates a cesspool for breeding shame and anxiety. Darkness and light cannot live together. We cannot force that to live together. And if you are a Christian, there's a very real reality that we cannot have both sin and peace at the same time. We must always pay for one with the other. Some of us just simply need a friend we, tr we trust so that we can get that dark stuff out of there and just share it with somebody and quit making our souls the cesspool for all that. Quit trying to put incompatible things in there. It's making us anxious. It's making us panic. And the final tool that we can use when our fear is high or in the middle of an anxiety attack is to simply fight back fight back. Guys, remember that picture of that soldier that I showed you a few minutes ago? I want us to consider something, okay? I want us to consider the fact that, 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 that this soldier, he's going to make it through that war if, if the enemy doesn't find him, right? As long as he can stay hidden in that bunker and the enemy doesn't find him and fire shots at him, he's going to survive the war, right? He's not going to die. But is he, have we ever asked ourselves, is that really the point of war? Is that the point of battle is to simply not die? And yet many of us are living our life the same way as if the whole point of this life is to just simply survive, to just simply not die. When that's not the point at all. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that in all these things, in all these things, in anxiety and in fear and in panic, that we were made to be more than conquerors. In all these things, we were made to win, to overcome them. See, this, this soldier is never going to win that battle if he doesn't pick up the weapon on the ground next to him and start firing back at the enemy. If he doesn't start playing offense, he's never going to win the battle. And neither are we. And we have a weapon when it comes to anxiety. The, the Bible tells us that we are to take with us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is our weapon. 
The Bible is our weapon, but we've got to start speaking it out loud over our truth. I mean, I, I, I sat panicked in a bed for days and days on end while my Bible sat left unopened on my nightstand. Never touched it. And here's the reality. It doesn't work that way. Best case scenario, I would simply survive one panic attack until the next one hit. Just simply surviving. Just not dying. But if I'm going to push through this and I'm going to get back to those dreams that God put inside me, I'm going to start having energy to face my day, to play with my children. I've got to pick up my Bible and I've got to start speaking truth out loud over these fears, over these lies that the enemy is telling me. I've got to open up the Bible and start speaking out loud. And let me tell you this, this out loud piece is really important. I learned this the hard way. See, when you're in the middle of an anxiety attack or you're in the middle of a state of paralyzing fear, you can have hundreds and hundreds of thoughts just swarming in your mind at one time you couldn't possibly spit them out faster than they're coming in your mind so when you read something it just it's almost impossible to read if you've ever been there but if you do get it in there it just gets swarmed up in there and it's so hard to bring it to the forefront but here's the thing about speaking you can only speak one thing at a time you can have a million thoughts going in here, but you can only say one thing at a time. You cannot speak both faith and fear at the same time. You cannot speak both lie and truth at the same time. You only get to pick one. So when you start speaking truth out loud, it brings those truths to the forefront. It pushes the fears back and it says truth is going to win. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to play offense. So in my situation, you feel like God is against you. You start speaking truth out loud. You say, that's not true of my God's character. My God says that he has chosen me, that I am his child, that he is my advocate, that if I have confessed my sins, that he is faithful and just to forgiving my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that he has removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. I am right now remembering something my own God does not even remember. We got to speak truth out loud. For two years, for two years, I took Romans 8, 38 and 39. I adapted it to my situation. So this is the Holly Brown version. But I said I would say this to myself in the mirror every single day, for I am convinced that no amount of anxiety that attacks you, no amount of panic that paralyzes you, not your fear of rejection, not your fear of the future, not your fear of money, nor any other fear that the enemy is going to throw at you will ever separate you, Holly, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are loved, you are loved, and you are loved. We've got to fight back. And guys, I'm not naive. I know that it, when it comes to this battle of anxiety in our culture, that it is, it is often two steps forward and one step back. Honestly, up until last weekend, I'd had a panic attack in over a year and I had one last weekend. And that's how anxiety is. It can feel that way. Two steps forward, one step back. But here's what we need. We need to put some tools in place. And most importantly, we need to determine that as children of God, we're going to keep fighting. We're going to fight back. Our children need us to fight back. Look at where these statistics are headed for them. We've got to fight back. And here's the really cool thing about fighting back. When you decide that you're going to fight back. See, when we decide that we're going to live life like this, that we're going to stand tall, that we're going to be confident people, and we're going to flourish... Do you know that it will help other people flourish? I want to show you something. Our world needs us. It needs every single one of us in here to determine that we're going to fight back. You know why? 
How long does it take of scrolling through social media to realize that we live in a hurting world? We live in a frustrated world. We live in an angry world. Do you know that in Romans 8, it tells us that all creation is eagerly waiting on the children of God to be revealed. Do you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting on us to flourish again. They're waiting on the children of God to be revealed in this world. They're waiting on those dreams that God put inside of you to be unleashed in this world. They're waiting on you to get the energy to get out of bed and to go chase the passions that God's given you that's going to answer the injustices in our world. All creation is eagerly waiting on us. They're waiting on us. And here's the cool thing. When we decide that we are going to fight back, that we are going to do whatever it takes to flourish again, to stand tall, to be confident men and women of God. Did you know this is the really cool thing about flowers? When one flower blossoms, it actually helps another immature or struggling flower bloom. See, flowers, they pollinate. So when one flower blooms, it will drop nutrients that will help another flower pollinate and another flower pollinate. And it really doesn't take very long at all for one flower to flourish, one flower to flourish, to actually turn into something like this. This is what happens when as children of God, we determine I'm going to fight back and I'm going to flourish. We help another person flourish and another person flourish. And you know, parent, when you decide that I can do this and I can face my day and I can enjoy little moments with my children, that our children begin to enjoy little moments in life. And student, when you decide that you're going to have the courage to stand up for what's right, you're going you're to drop courage into someone else so they too can stand up for what's right. I told you your pastor's one of the bravest people I know. He gave me courage to own my story, to stand up, to not give up on my calling, to get back in the game because he decided he was gonna fight back. It gave me the courage to fight back. Grandparent, when you decide that you're not retired from kingdom work, that you will never be sidelined in kingdom work, do you know that it puts hope, it drops hope in the souls of those of us that are nearing midlife. And we're not nearly as far along as we thought we were going to be. But you, you staying in the game and deciding you still got great work to do is going to give us hope that God can still unleash those dreams in us, that he can still unfold those passions he put inside of us. See, it only takes one of us to flourish. And then our families flourish, second chance flourishes, our cities flourish, just one flower, and we can all begin to flourish. But to do that, we've got to fight back. We've got to fight back. I want to just pray over you guys before we leave today. Would you, would you do me a favor and just go ahead and stand? And I want to I pray specifically right now for those of you who are currently in the midst of struggling with fear, with anxiety, and with even panic. Jesus, we just come to you right now. Jesus, you know the state of every soul that is in this room. You know the angst that's got people twisted in knots today. You know, the people that getting out of bed was the biggest task that they were going to do all day today. It was the hardest thing they had to overcome. Holy Spirit, you know that and you see that. And I just pray that your presence will fill every heart here today, especially the hearts that have a lump in their throat, they have dry mouth, 
their hearts are pumping out of their chest. Holy Spirit, would you just bring your peace, your calm into this room? Fill our hearts. Calm our souls, Holy Spirit. For those of us that are just zapped of energy because the mind, the battle in our mind is such a more difficult battle than what's going on in our circumstances around us. And so it's left us depleted and exhausted. Holy Spirit, would you energize us? Would you bring those dreams that you once put inside of us back? And would you give us the energy and the excitement to chase them again? We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the tools that you've given us. We love you. Thank you for never leaving us, not in one moment of panic, not in one attack, not in one fear. Have you ever left our side? You are with us in our brokenness, and you sit with us till we're whole again. Heal our hearts, heal our minds, heal our generation. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here today and let me share with you. If you're here and you have a specific prayer request, whether it's, it's, it's in regards to fear, in regards to anxiety or anything else, we have a team of people that are in the lobby that they would love to pray with you. So as you leave today, stop by there. Let them know with what you're struggling with and let us pray over you. There is power in prayer and we wanna, do, we wanna pray over you today, okay? All right, you guys have a great week. We love you guys.